This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. from the ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the metro area. It is episode 670 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. I believe this might be the first time where we didn't say that it was our pleasure to bring you episode 670 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast uh, because we feel very guilty about what we're about to do. Maybe I took that out on accident. It's always our pleasure to do so. It's all right. I, I just thought maybe you felt guilty about all the blasphemy. No, no, come on. We talked about demons and devils. I don't worry about blasphemy. <laughs> it's true. You are a shameless heathen. I'm your head number one. The internet's Joe Patrick, and I am fully prepared to riot if Herc doesn't show up in Thor Love and Thunder. Now, Matt wrote that. I have a thought. I think they'll tease Herc but we won't get him until a different project. Still show up. I'll take it. A tease is show up. And that, and then we know he's coming. That's all I'm saying. I'm your head number two. My name is Matt Baum, and I am done listening to internet rumors about Herc in the MCU. You give me a big, beautiful, polyamorous, drunk superhero that hates wearing shirts, or I might be done. Now, I do think that that rumor we saw about, a.k.a. Roy Kent from Ted Lasso being cast as Hercules. Yeah, I think that's bullshit. Um, he was supposed to show up in the Eternals. He's supposed to show up all over the damn place. I'm not buying any of it anymore. In this divinely inspired episode, the Cosmic Longbox returns, and it's got us reviewing and discussing eight classic back-issue comics based on a theme. After that, we'll talk about our must-read picks for next week, but now the Cosmic Long Box is crackling with weird energy, which means it's time to unveil our theme, and then it's back-issue review time in the ziggurat. Ot, ot, ot. Oh, wow. little, little echo there. Appreciate that. I don't have to do it in post. That's nice. If you want to put a post <laughs> echo in there, that's cool. It might be too weird. Villains are certainly the backbone of our favorite genre of comics here in the Ziggurat, but this time, the Cosmic Longbox has chosen a theme even more powerful. With the Greek pantheon invading the MCU this weekend, it seemed like a good time to take a look at what happens when deities from all faiths, mythologies, and corners of the universe interfere with humankind. In our latest back issue theme, Here There Be Gods! Joe Patrick, who is your first divine being that we'll be discussing? Uh, you know what? It's actually a collection of divine beings. Oh, nice. My first review is of New Gods number one from DC Comics. The year was 1971. And yeah, you know it. It was written and drawn by Jack Kirby. Uh, here's your setup. I cribbed this entirely from the comic because it's too good. There came a time when the old gods died. The brave died with the cunning. The noble perished, locked in battle with unleashed evil. It was the last day for them. An ancient arrow was passing in fiery holocaust. The final moment came with the fatal release of indescribable power, which tore the home of the old gods asunder, split it in great halves, and filled the universe with the blinding death flash of its destruction. In the end, there were two giant molten bodies, spinning slow and barren, clean of all that had gone before, adrift in the fading sounds of cosmic thunder. Good lord. 
<laughs> silence closed upon what happened. A long, deep silence wrapped in massive darkness. It was this way for an age. Then there was new light. Stan who? Jack Kirby wrote all that. He doesn't need nobody. Uh, that is the opening salvo of New Gods number one. Not content to tell stories about the gods of myth, the king decided to create his own. New Gods number one brings the fourth world roaring to life, and as the book itself proclaims, it is truly an epic for our time. Kirby packs more ideas into these 20 pages or so than a dozen entire comics. He establishes the premise of the series, the existence of New Genesis and Apocalypse, the planet's inhabitants, the source, several members of the actual new gods like the higher ups and their powers, their science and their schemes all in the space of a single issue. And it isn't the least bit overwhelming. The story moves at lightning pace, but still takes time to develop Orion's care character and his mission in the midst of a maelstrom of other ideas. I think I might argue that it's overwhelming in the best way. Sure. <laughs> like it's but overwhelming. Not, in way, not in a way that you'd be lost. Is no, what no, I, guess no. I mean, it's overwhelming, but you're all just like, whoa, keep sure. it coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The way Kirby bookends the story first with an epilogue and then with a prologue is genius and creates a sense of excitement for what's to come. I don't think I have to spend too much time talking about Kirby's incredible art. It took me a long time to learn to appreciate his style as a kid, but now I see how every panel crackles with creative energy, like the ideas were like literally exploding out of him. Not in a gross way. Yeah. New Gods number one is like the breaking of a dam that floods the DC universe with a brand new modern mythology all its own. This is a must read for anyone that wants to take a cosmic trip through the DCU. And it's one of the books I would put in anybody's hand that said, I want to get into Jack Kirby. What do I do? New Gods number one. Huge buy it. Yeah, it's either going to scare them so bad that they'll never do it again or that you're an instant fan. I mean, but that's Jack Kirby. You either completely love what this guy does or you're just like, not for me. That is too crazy. This is the kind of book where there there is not a single sentence that does not end with an exclamation point. The whole solicit, the whole thing I re I read was exclamation points the entire time. Everything, every character speaks in exclamation points the entire time, even when they're just like talking. Yeah, like the Allfather is talking to Metron at one point and Metron answers, how wondrously wise is the source exclamation point. Who is more ready to fight father than son exclamation point. You know, it's like everyone is screaming the entire time. I love it. It's completely nuts. The art is fantastic, and it's like there's two ways to handle gods, and we'll talk about this more in the, when we're done with all the reviews, but Kirby does it in the best way. Just grabs it and went, yep, it's nuts. Everything is dialed up to 12. It's totally crazy. Everything's on fire. Anything that's not on fire is the best thing in the world, you know? Go. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's great. It's a huge buy hit for me. I love um, this. You know, I, I actually, um, so we read uh, like a, a non-recolored copy, right? So it wasn't anything that was like remastered for a hardcover or whatever. This is the original production values. Yeah. And the coloring is amazing. It looks great. For the time. It looks totally great. Uh, and there there is no credited colorist. And I don't know if Kirby colored himself. I assume he did. Um, 
He's just listed as the penciler online, but this could have been a time before. Like, I'm not sure the letterer is credited either. Um, they do credit Vince Coletta, the inker. Yeah. Um, it does say written, drawn, and edited by Jack Kirby. I'm betting he edited. did colors. I don't know that he did his own colors back then because he was doing so many books. But um, I, I'm happy to be wrong if I am wrong. If if you know, if somebody out there knows, uh, Jason. Lay it on us. Uh, if yeah. you're listening. Um, I'd like to know because I thought the colors were very impressive considering it was 1971. I also love that uh, the source wall writes with the finger, the old school finger cursor that like a windows 95. Yeah. Before it, we had the mouse yeah. pointer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> love it. it trails with glitter. You know, yeah. you've got all your, you've got all your plugins turned on. Let's jump back over to Marvel and check in with some gods over there in Avengers number 187 from 1979. This is written by Mark Grunewald and Stephen Grant with art by John Byrne. Here's your setup. Wondagore! If you only know it from the Multiverse of Madness, trust me, there is so much more weird shit that you don't know about. <laughs> Quicksilver wakes up in a bed where he's been healed by Bova. A human cow new man created by the high evolutionary years ago. Also, the person who just happened to act as the midwife to him and his sister's birth. His sister being Wanda, the Scarlet Witch. Pietro followed Wanda to Wondergore because she was tracking Modred the Mystic, who planned to use the Darkhold to release Cthon, who would then take over the world. Cthon first appeared back in Marvel Chillers number one, where Modred was referring to him as the other and actually fighting to keep it contained. Cthon is sort of Marvel's version of H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu, mixed with elements of the Mad Arab that wrote the Necronomicon. In this case, that's the Darkhold, but takes on more of a human-looking form when he finally does show up and is referred to as Earth's first black magician. He's an elder god, born billions of years ago. Like dark magic, like black magic, not he happens to be black and he's a magician. Well, I think everybody knows what a black magician is. So. <laughs> I just want I just want to make it clear because the way it's worded just kind of sounds. He's an elder god. He was born billions of years ago. But unlike H.P. Lovecraft's elder gods, not all elder gods in the Marvel Universe are bad. Like Gaia, who is Thor's mom for a minute, is also an elder god. Jason Aaron, however, came in and tried to tell us that the phoenix was Thor's mom Stupid. during his Avengers run. Barf! That's <laughs> dumb! Here, Modred is now working for Cthon and calling him by name, trying to usher in the end of the world, but realizes, while fighting Wanda, that she was chosen to be the new host of Cthon. As always... Wanda is a central part of a huge problem that could ruin the world. And she, of course, rushed off on her own, only to end up being possessed and almost killing her team and destroying the world. <laughs> you know, the Scarlet Witch. Standard stuff. Burns' art is excellent. This is before Burns' legendary work on the Fantastic Four and Superman, but it still looks great. I love the way he draws Quicksilver speeding through panels. The story is... Fine. And to its credit, this might be the first time Wanda really became a danger to the planet, but it's still further evidence that she's too dangerous to live. Modred is the real star here, though. His dialogue is ridiculous. I don't think there's any explanation offered as to why he switched from fighting Cthon to wanting to make out with him, but I guess we don't have much of a story if not. I 
Love this Avengers team, though, and Grunewald is fantastic at these high-drama, high-concept storylines. The more I read of his 80s stuff, the more I love this guy. I gotta ask, though, did Modred ever pop up after this? Yeah, I think Modred, Modred was kind of like a bad painting that popped up here and then, like, here and there. But there's also Doctor Strange or something. And I just there's also Mordred with an R. Different dude. Who is the son of Morgan Le Fay. Right. Uh, so it's like very King Arthur, like Arthurian. Um, See, and I didn't know if maybe later they sort of mashed Modred and Mordred into no, one No, two character. different guys They're altogether. Definitely, okay, all right. Um, yeah, like Modred, like here are some modern pictures of, of, of Modred. So like he's showed up. Okay. Regardless, he's, he's showed up this, in other stuff. Yeah. Given this a huge buy it. Cthon is a rad elder God, which is bad to be bad. You know why an elder God needs to like study black magic. I don't know, but he did. And I he's mean, really good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, okay. So, um, yes, the art, very, very good. Uh, Dan Green's the inker, um, who, uh, who kind of puts a different kind of, uh, quality to John Byrne's line art, which I really like. You know, it's not like as slick as his usual guy, Terry Austin, uh, and not as scratchy as when he inks himself, which is great because yeah. that's when it starts to get wild. Um, but yeah, this looks really nice. I'm a sucker for the team back when the Beast was a member. Yeah. All I want is for the Beast to be an Avenger. I know. And, it, and not this stupid Beast that's running Black Ops Murder Squad. Like, not, not the Beast that the X-Men keep trying to have an intervention for. I want the Beast the fun, bouncy, blue beast, best friend of Wonder Man. Yeah, Stars and Garter's Beast. Yeah. Stars and Garter's Beast. He doesn't have to have the haircut. I get it. It's weird. It's dated. Um, but yeah, man, so good. Um, I happened to just like coincidentally read this storyline not long ago. I read the whole storyline. It's fun. It's fun. It's weird. Um, it is kind of, like you said, the start of everything that would eventually become a huge problem about the Scarlet Witch. So was this the um, first time that the Scarlet Witch freaked out and was the main problem and almost ended the world? Well, I mean, she, but like, it's not her, right? She's possessed I mean, by Kathan or but whatever. But she shouldn't have run off by her own, on her own to take care of well, us. Well, sure. So but, yeah, I mean, it's kind of her fault. <laughs> that's comics mad it could have been her it could have been Dr. Strange it would have been anybody like, don't go Pietro's like no don't go on your own <laughs> I get it I get it but this is also kind of the start of the hints uh, about um, things that we would not learn until much much later right. uh, in the pages of the Vision and the Scarlet Witch uh, see whatever episode that was <laughs> for that discussion that was an extra um, <laughs> well we did talk we did do part of it I'm sure but um the the complicated the complication uh, surrounding the parentage of Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch kind of got its roots here because it, it was like yes we are the we are the son and daughter of Django Maximoff and his wife no wait we are the son well, and daughter no. of the Wizard and Miss America no because Bova says here. So like Maximoff, whoever Maximoff gives birth to him, and then she gives the kids to the gypsy guy, the Django or whatever. It's not. It's not Maximoff. It, uh, according to this comic, it is Madeline Frank who That's, is the who was Miss America in right. the in, in the Golden Age in the Invaders. Um, and so, yeah, she's the, she's the wife of the wizard. And that's why we see that panel where the twins are born and she dies and he takes off into the snow and abandons his babies to yeah. the cow lady. He's too freaked I, out. I get it. Yeah. And, 
and then eventually we will we will learn that no, the woman that gave birth to the twins and then died during childbirth was actually Magda, yeah, the wife of Magneto. And then, which makes during, all the sense in the world. <laughs> yeah, and then during uh, and then during Axis, we would learn. Nope, just kidding. Uh, it wasn't, and they're not even. I don't even know, dude. I don't know yeah, anymore. At this point, um, I don't know. Like, uh, but I, I I know that as of the X Men, the more recent X Men stories, they are still treating Wanda as though she is not Magneto's daughter, but he does consider her like a daughter. Right. Her and Quicksilver. Uh, well, Quicksilver is an asshole, so who knows about him? Yeah. But um, yeah. Uh, anyway, this is a buy it. It's, this is a fun storyline, kind of like a definitive story for the Scarlet Witch, and you know, it's fun. Yeah, it might fun. be where it all starts to go wrong. I don't know. <laughs> Everything from parenthood to powers. All right, enough of this pagan nonsense. Let's get into some good Christian fun. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Pardon me, Judeo Christian. <laughs> okay, uh, we're talking Savage Dragon 31 from Image Comics. The year the year was 1996, the year I graduated from high school, ladies and gentlemen. If in case you wanted to catfish me, oh, there's a little personal bit of info for you. Yeah, wow. <laughs> it's it's my social security number is. <laughs> uh, this is written and drawn by Eric Larson. Here is uh, your setup, which again, I took this from. ImageComics.com, and I'm sorry for the spoilers, but this is just a beat-for-beat description of what happens in the issue. Just right there on Image.com. The dragon easily defeats Overlord and discovers that the fiend is, in fact, Arnold Dimple, the man who shot Debbie Harris. Bonnie Harris manages to separate from the fiend as a result, and the devil appears to take her soul. The devil is confronted and defeated by God, who sends Harris to eternal damnation and dragon to earth. Now, if the first part of that paragraph didn't make any sense to you because you don't understand who Overlord is or the Fiend or Arnold Dimple or Debbie Harris or Bonnie Harris, don't worry about it. Um, you know, you'll catch up. Dragon is dead. And he is about to begin an eternity of torment at the hands of a woman who mistakenly believes that he murdered her daughter, the daughter Debbie Harris, the mother, Bonnie Harris. Unfortunately for her, she sold her soul for nothing because, as it is revealed, the fiend, a.k.a. Arnold Dimple, is the man who killed Debbie. But the devil still intends to enforce the deal. Unfortunately for Satan, God has other plans. Unfortunately for everyone, Dragon is an atheist and he thinks he's hallucinating this entire thing. The issue is outrageous. It's outrageous and fun, and it features a literal fist fight between God and the devil, which we all know can only end one way, and a line of dialogue that sent shockwaves through comics fandom, at least for a little while. I really loved Savage Dragon around this time. Dragon's story is simple and compelling. He's an amnesiac super being that was found in a burning field. He fights crime as a cop in a city overrun with supervillains. That's it. It read like a series with a lifetime of ideas created by a comic fan who was finally in a position to bring those ideas to life, and that is exactly what Savage Dragon was. If you look at the history of Savage Dragon and Eric Larson's career, you will see that like Dragon actually appeared 
long ago in, uh, I think, the early 80s in a self-published book that Larson did called Megaton. And he would scrap all of that, like, and then bring it into set and then recreate it as the Savage Dragon. It's wild and it's fun. And it's like fanboy makes good. This issue in particular has a fair bit of exposition, which is great if you're just coming into the story and you don't understand, you know, your your wimples from your gimples from your Harris's and whatnot. Larson's art is exciting and full of energy. There's a one page gag by artist unknown, not Larson, showing a quote unquote lost golden age comic book cover. God comics number two. Yeah. Where the big G busts in like Captain America to save his son. Yeah. You know who he is. Jesus from being crucified by Adolf Hitler. It is irreverent and hilarious. It's a story titled Hitler crucified my son. <laughs> Hitler crucified my son. Yeah. Is the story title. I was a fan of Savage Dragon at the time this story arc was being published, and I remember how reading it made me feel like I was getting away with something. There was even a censored variant edition that said God is good on the cover instead of God versus the devil, where they replaced, they put a Grawlix into that infamous line of dialogue. It's a really, it was really fun to revisit this issue from a time before the series got away from what made it truly great, and it became an endless stream of gross-out humor and borderline softcore sex. No joke. That Savage Dragon is off the rails yeah. uh, these days. Which, whatever. Give, if you're into it, good for you. Hey, and it's Eric Larson's vision. Yeah. Do what you want, bud. It's all like, yours. Like, no shame. It's just not my It's not my bag. I stopped reading the book, you know, probably 20 years ago. I'll give the caveat that this issue deals with sensitive themes in a way that might not sit well with some readers. <laughs> Otherwise... Savage Dragon 31 gets a buy it. Like, you know, who if by those sensitive readers, you know who you are just by the description. So give it a pass if you don't think it's your cup of tea. But I loved it. It's a buy it for me. So I don't like the Savage Dragon. I, I've gone on record saying this for years. It, I, I admire how long dude has worked on the book, the amount of work he's put into it. I, I get why fans are into it. I understand it does a thing. It's a big, macho, stupid, smash em up book where God shows up and goes, don't f- with God. You know, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> I, mean, right. I wasn't going to say it, but you just went out and well, said I'll it. bleep it. I mean, it's not a big deal. But I mean, like, that is the discourse you get here. They're like, Satan fights dirty and kicks God in the nuts, you know, and that, this just doesn't yeah, do but then, for But me. then God and Dragon have like a very serious discussion about like the nature of the universe. Yeah, I get it. This, this stuff just doesn't do anything for me. I, I'm not a big fan of his art. He's very good at what he does. I just don't care for the style. Oh, yeah. And I love the style. Every time I, I read the Savage Dragon, it just reminds me how much it's not for me. I'm going to give it a skim it because, yes, Eric Larson had the balls to do a God versus devil punch him up back in the day. <laughs> like points for that, whatever. It's just, it's definitely an acquired taste that I don't have. Skim it. I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pile on. You know, and that's totally fair. Like Savage Dragon is definitely a book that's not going to appeal to every kind of comic book fan. And I get that. And it's also the kind of book that has completely changed like it, it, it has changed so completely more than once that like I fell off the book 
when it stopped being about like like Dragon trying to learn his identity while defending Chicago from Overlord and and uh, the mafia of super like when it just became this weird like Silver Age homage kind of thing. I was like, this is not for me. Yeah, uh, and I stopped. And now it is what it is, and some people like it, and I don't. So. I will say I don't think it's that different from what we're reading here they just leaned into the sex a little more <laughs> i think know, it, i think it's kind of it's kind of gone back a little <laughs> bit more towards the like wild characters yeah. in a in a in a crime ridden city you know right. it it has kind of gone back to that original theme but where but then also like with sex comedy uh, yes a lot of jokes about uh dragon's daughter-in-law being a nymphomaniac and her bodily fluids and all kinds of stuff that I do not want to read about. Yeah, not for me. No, thank you. Meanwhile, back in the Marvel Universe, the year was 1982, and we were just getting our first Hercules limited series, Hercules, Prince of Power, number one from Marvel. It's written and drawn by Bob Layton. Here's your setup. Sometime in the 24th century, Herc finds himself bored with life on Earth, so he climbs Mount Olympus to check in on the home of his dad, Zeus. But Zeus is not putting up with his son's drunken partying, so after Herc gets wasted with some fine-looking ladies, dad says, enough, and banishes him to outer space. Luckily, his buddy Apollo is loaning him his son chariot pulled by two problematically angry horses that can fly through space. Herc bumps into some no-nonsense and very boring Rigelians that set him up with a recorded robot buddy so Herc's heroics travels can be told. The two find themselves in Star Harbor, a massive spaceport, where Herc tries to impress everyone by beating up the universe's sweetest giant toddler <laughs> and then yeah. saves the station when an experimental fuel tanker almost explodes. Before Layton's Herc miniseries, the character had mainly been portrayed as an arrogant jerk that just kind of routinely picked fights for fun. He was basically a less likable Thor, and it was Layton's idea to take Herc out of the Marvel U and fling him into a future galaxy where, where there were just no rules and he could do whatever he wanted to with the character. Layton had been writing Iron Man at the time and was looking to do something more lighthearted, so Marvel gave him Herc to play with. I remember picking up this series at a very young age and loving it. Herc is a bit of a doofus, but he's a hero and he's genuinely likable. Just like Thor's dad, Zeus is portrayed as a grumpy old man, but that's really where the similarities between the two stop. Herc is funny, he's sweet, and he just wants to have a few drinks with ladies of any species. Layton draws him as an eight-foot-tall, pure muscle man wearing the weirdest leg bracers. I love those things, man. But I love them. <laughs> the weird, the weird, ba the weird bands. Yeah. Like, uh, can you imagine how difficult those must be to put on? It's got to be a pain in the ass to draw, too, every time. <laughs> His art is very classic 80s house style. It's busy, full of ridiculous cosmic action, and it still looks great today. Herc would go on to be an Avenger, but we'd never see a whole lot of his family of Greek gods. Of course, that all might be changing very soon with the new Thor movie. I am giving this a buy it. This is the Hercules that I love. You know what? Uh, no notes. It's a buy. It. <laughs> uh, I, I, I love it. Uh, I will say two things. Um, one, I guess I did not pick up on the fact that it is set in the future, which, yeah. you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't impact the story. Um, but it does just mean that it also doesn't matter what's going on in the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. um, 
What was wrong with the horses? They were super mean. They ate a guy's arm. They bit oh, somebody well, else. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody the, knew what to do with them. They kicked uh, uh, a robot uh, yeah, to okay. death. Yeah. <laughs> Apollo, Apollo did say it's like you got to be sure to feed those horses every yeah. once in a while. They and were super Herc, pissed. <laughs> Herc did not ask any questions about it. No, he just showed um, up. And everybody tried to put like rocket and fuel then up like their tried butts. To eat, they tried to eat it, and guy, it yeah. went back. Yeah, right. I did that. That scene did make me laugh out loud. Where they show up to the spaceport and the and the. Um, the pump jockey was like, what end do I stick this hose into? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, this, uh, this is great. Like it really, it made me want to go back and read the whole thing, which I've never done before. Uh, for some reason, like there are two Hercules Prince of Power miniseries. For some reason, I thought it was the later one that was set in space, but it's this one as well. Um, and I did not know that, but I, I do love the whole like unlikely friendship with the living recorder and the whole like i yeah. love the mythology behind the regellians and the whole like recorders and i the, also think the uh, living recorder and i don't know and i couldn't find any evidence for it but i think the living recorder is an homage to jack kirby's robot from the marvel 2001 series as well you mean machine man well that's machine man but he never calls him machine man in that they call it, he's like i am a recorder of time and yada 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 uh, i mean that could yeah. be that could be i yeah, think I'm, it's an knows? homage because he's kind of got a machine man vibe they never call him machine man he in in his head the design of his head has kind of a machine yeah. man look with with that kind of like sentinel skull yes. cap thing right totally yeah no uh only bob layton knows for sure but yeah. uh this is great i think bob layton is a wonderful creator who has done a lot of amazing work in the 80s and uh this is part of it it's a huge buy it for me absolutely fantastic and i'm gonna read the rest of this series and it's true you don't see like marvel never really embraced the greek pantheon no you know they, they showed up from time to time in thor or in hercules adjacent stories but for the most part it's all four all the time yeah no, I mean, like, Zeus has been mentioned. I'm sure he's popped up here and there. But, I mean, he's not starring in shit like Odin constantly. No, no. All right, well, Zeus is a god with a little G, right? But Marvel's got one god with a big G. We're talking about Fantastic Four 511 from Marvel Comics. They don't call him God, but we'll get into that. This is Marvel's Judeo-Christian God. <laughs> well, not really. <laughs> but uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on that. Uh, Fantastic Four 511 from, obviously, Marvel Comics. It's written by Mark Wade with art by Mike Waringo. Here is your solicit. This is an actual solicit. Thank you, Marvel. Having embarked on the ultimate journey, Reed, Sue, and Johnny must contend with the defenses of the afterlife and storm the gates of heaven itself to rescue their fallen teammate, They've faced the destroyer of everything, Galactus. Now they face the creator of everything as the Fantastic Four are reunited in the hereafter. That's the name of the storyline, hereafter. That's why it's capitalized. Thank you. Uh, in that sentence. After a series of events spinning out of one of the best Doctor Doom stories of all time, Ben Grimm is dead and on his way to his heavenly reward. The only problem is that his best friend Reed isn't ready to let him go. And when you're talking about the super genius leader of the Fantastic Four, defying the laws of life and death are a regular occurrence. The FF have found a way to travel into the afterlife to rescue their friend to the very edge of heaven. But what if Ben doesn't want to be rescued? This is a really wonderful storyline that explores the depths of the four's love for one another and puts Reed's unshakable faith in science to the metaphysical test. 
Wade's script for this issue and his whole run, really, is a love letter to the familial aspect of the Fantastic Four, which transcends everything from the most mundane parts of their lives, like managing their finances, to horrific conflict and tragedy, to death itself and what lies beyond. The late, great Mike Waringo's art manages to capture all of the emotion and sense of wonder that Wade's story demands. In the end, the first family literally meet their maker. Most online wikis will describe this as an appearance of the one above all, who is a named being in the Marvel Universe. It's basically Marvel's version of God or the creator of the Marvel multiverse, uh, who appeared more recently in the latter part of Al Ewing's Immortal Hulk um, during the climax of that whole Green Door stuff with the one below all, if you if you remember that. Right. It's only fitting that the FF interpret this unknowable being responsible for all creation as a scrappy old artist, the greatest storyteller the Marvel Universe has ever known, hunched over his famous drawing table. Stan Lee. No. Fantastic (laughs) Four 511 is an amazing conclusion to one of the most turbulent periods in the team's history and a touching tribute to the man that brought them to life. There's actually even when they first when they first elements, Jack Kirby. Look, man, they'll they get it. I was just trying to be mysterious about it. Oh, come on. It's Jack Kirby. Let's discuss it. I mean, that's what's so great about it. I understand. We all know who I mean, but let's have a little sense of mystery about it. Any other way, I would have been like, well, I guess they really found a way to write their way out of this one. (laughs) But it's so charming Uh, that it saves it. It is very charming. Uh, It's a huge buy it. Um, There's there's even uh, when they first walk into Kirby's office or what they interpret as Kirby's office. He's on the phone and he's like, yeah, yeah. got it. Okay. And then uh, so-and-so shows up. Oh, no, wait, I'll make it to Silver Server. Okay, great. Uh, and then he hangs up. Yeah, he's, and uh-huh, then, uh-huh. They're in the Forbidden City, the human jungle. Right. Yeah. Suddenly the Black Panther uh, he says springs something from about the Black Panther. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll make it Silver Server. Yeah, yeah. Write it up. I'll start the designs. <laughs> and they're like, who yeah. called? He's like, my, my collaborator. My collaborator. Enough, enough said. said. <laughs> but, but he's got this kind of look on his face that like is not necessarily – intentionally scowly, but like you can, if you want to interpret it that way, they're taking a shot. They're taking a shot at Stan here. They definitely are. Um, But it's, it's yeah, it's, it is very charming. This is a huge bite. Yeah. I did not love this particular storyline because it got a little away from the fantastic force of like, like Reed's face was messed up and they're going to heaven and stuff. I'm like, yeah, well, I mean, but that happened in another story. Like, no, I mean, I know, but face. I mean like it all started with that and led to this and they fix everything in this very charming, cute storyline where they meet God. It's Jack Kirby. It's adorable. It's very meta. And I think the only reason that it ends well is because it's so charming. And I, by the end, I was like, all right, that's cute. I'm back in. You got me. Yeah. You know, like he literally, he literally <laughs> yeah. gives the fantastic Four the happy ending they deserve. Yeah. He brings Ben back to life. He fixes Reed's face. And then, and then you just, and that's it. You don't worry about it. Yeah. It's you don't just, need, it's you done. Don't need to it's worry done. About Let's it. move on. Yeah. And, and it's a fun way to mess with God in a very meta way. I thought it's, it's very clever. And it's more clever than I think the story was leading toward, possibly. I feel like Wade had to fight for this one a little bit, and they were like, all right, fine, you can do it. No, I think it's ballsy and it's fun, and I'm giving it a buy-in. It's, it's, very, it's a very meta way to introduce 
the god of Marvel, I guess. Well, I mean, this isn't the first appearance of the one above all, and yeah. but it is certainly the most charming. Sure. And uh, like every other appearance before and since, uh, the one above all is not really. Yeah, uh, it's whatever. Not really something you want to have show up. Right. It's not great. And typically a plot device at best. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, invitation, sir. Um, I should be on that list. Name? Stanley. Yeah, uh, nice try, buddy. Nice no, no, try. really, uh, I'm Stanley. You know, Joe, sometimes gods don't get along, and we end up having a war of the gods. Oh, no. Yeah, but it's wordier than you think. This is War of the Gods, number one, from DC. Nobody kicks anybody in the nuts in this one, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> That's true. This was written and drawn by George Perez with finishing art by Cynthia Martin. I know I ask you this every time. Yeah. That's more than inks. Right, because um, this looks like George Perez. There, there was nothing. There well, wasn't a it panel. It sort of looks like George Perez. I, I thought uh, it was very Perezian, if you will. Well, I mean, that's because the layouts. Uh, George Perez is credited with the layouts, right? Which is basically a much rougher version of penciling, where he kind of just like sketches out a rough, okay, version of the action. So Cynthia, Cynthia puts Cynthia the Martin, meat on the bones, more or less. Cynthia Martin put the meat on the bones. Exactly right. Gotcha. Exactly right. One of Wonder Woman's most powerful foes, Cersei, has teamed up with Hecate, or Hecate, goddess of witchcraft and necromancy, to kill the Earth goddess Gaia. Not, I call her Hecate. Not Thor's mom, but DC Gaia. Cersei yeah. teams up with Eris, daughter of Ares, and the Amazons of Banna Migdal, who aren't crazy about the Themyscrian Amazons at this point. With help from Dr. Conrad Kazlak, who stole a bunch of mystical artifacts somewhere not in this comic, Cersei is able to cast a spell that seems to summon the Roman counterparts of the Greek pantheon. You know, Jupiter instead of Zeus, Mercury instead of Hermes, you get it. And they create New Olympus! And this is bad! For the whole DCU, I guess. <laughs> the- no, no, no. Oh, oh, New Olympus was already in existence. That's where the Greek gods went to go live. See, I thought the Roman gods were creating that, and that's no, why it was so no. bad. New, New Olympus, New Olympus was already there. It's where the Greek uh, gods went to live. Uh, Look, that just goes to show you how confusing this comic is. Yes. Anyway, continue. The book jumps all over the world, showing the heroes starting to notice that something big and bad is happening. The son of Vulcan was supposed to be the Roman god's weapon to stop Wonder Woman, but he refuses, and instead they get Billy Batson, Shazam, to act as their champion. Although we don't see how he gets coerced into fighting for them. He just does it. <laughs> also, Donna Troy is here. And I guess that's shocking. I think she was dead. Sure. I don't know. At that time? We all know that Perez's crisis is an important DC epic. And it would be quite a while before DC went back to the crisis well for another crossover. That said, Perez was going for all the crisis magic here, only this time it would be centered around a magic war fought by gods with a plot so thick it is virtually impenetrable. Yes. I found myself lost in a sea of Amazons with the Greekest names I've ever heard before. And then another tribe of Amazons in South America that don't like those Amazons. Cersei is talking to Hecate's womb and it's shooting out comets. The Firestorm Force, which also might be a god, is begging Ronnie Raymond to become Firestorm again. 
Wonder Woman's having a bad trip on her way to New Olympus. And then the Greek and Roman gods are there fighting the, uh, their other selves. And like I mentioned, Donna Troy is here too. And wow, is her continuity a mess back in the early 90s. Don't bother looking it up. Oh, you I get tried. Because I wanted, I was like, I know, but okay, don't worry about it. Why are we so shocked Donna Troy's here? And then I got on her wiki page. And then yeah, no. an hour and 20 minutes later, I tried to kill myself. <laughs> I was just like, don't, stop, stop. Do not. Yeah, just don't. It just, it's better to just let Donna Troy be yeah. a character that it exists and you don't worry about where she's And I from. can't take that stuff out of my brain. The art is spectacular. It, it's George Perez, but. The story is just too much. I, I cannot believe that this event lasted four 48-page issues and had more than 20 goddamn tie-ins. Issue yeah. one was just too much for me. It is the most Perez comic that has ever Perezed, even more so than Crisis, and it's not for the casual fan. I literally, every other page, had to look up who characters were, why they were different than I thought they were. And by the end, I'm still not real clear on Cersei's motivation or her actual plan. I will take the Greek Marvel gods over these hyper-serious, overwritten jerks any day of the week. I'm giving this a leave it. Uh, yeah. It made uh, me mad, Joe. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Uh, you know, I, I read it, and when I finished it, I kind of felt bad for not liking it because it's Perez, right? You know, and I love Perez, and sure. that's true. I do love Perez, the artist. But what some people might not remember is that George Perez also wrote Wonder Woman for several years right. post-crisis. And War of the Gods is kind of like his swan song. Yeah. So, like, he created the post-crisis Wonder Woman continuity, and it's just, it's so dense. I oh. felt like I was walking in in the middle of a movie, and there are no editor's boxes saying, see recent issues of Wonder Woman. Nope. Like, there's literally nothing. No, this is like you and, opened War and Peace halfway into the book and decided, I'm going to read this <laughs> these two chapters. And, yeah, right, and they've already, they've, already, they've already been at war, and they're trying to make peace. Right. Yeah, no, it's... Uh, when you start reading War of the Gods number one, things are already happening and they don't tell you how they started. Right. Or where they started. Right. So even if you loved it and you wanted to see what led into War of the Gods, there's nothing. Like, I guess you can assume it's Wonder Woman because it's all about the Greek gods. I, yeah. But, but I tried what, to- But yeah, I, it's not- No. While I was reading it, I tried to like make the excuse like, okay- this is the 80s. Maybe they haven't really figured out the crossover thing. And I went, nope, 1991. We are well into crossover territory at this point. And you're yeah. seriously not giving us any information as to where this stuff happened. And, you really. know, and, I, and I think that, like, yeah, and it's fine. Like, the, the, the idea that, like, characters show up and you don't quite understand their status quo because it's a different time. Right. That's fine. That's going to happen. Yeah. Like there's like a female doctor fake here. And I was like, Who's, right. who the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, like, like not understanding what's going on with Firestorm. Like that's not the book's fault. That's no. just what, what's going on with Firestorm. Like there, there's a reference to Krypton man that we debated last night. Well, and that's just um, the thing. All you had to where, do was say, see Superman, whatever to find yeah, out what's up with Krypton. It, but, yeah. Man. It's just like, have you not been it, reading Firestorm? Check out issue so-and-so 
right. see why Ronnie's not Firestorm right now. You know, like just anything. Right. <laughs> like, the, and there's a there's a scene with um, with Geoforce uh, in his civilian guise yeah. as the Prince of Markov, and it, like cause something to do with like the earthquakes or whatever mess. Like, give him the freakouts, and it's just like, okay, well, I guess Geoforce is there, but they don't tell you who Geoforce is or why we care. Right. It's just if you don't already know. Like, I know who Firestorm is. Why does Firestorm look like that? Why isn't Ronnie Firestorm? I don't know. I've never read those comics. Right. I mean, I I, I mean, I, I kind of know. Well, but okay, but I, let's like, say... I, I've never read those comics. Let's say you're Wonder Woman guy at the time. You are heavy. You're in. Yeah, you, yeah. You love George Perez's Wonder Woman. That's all you're reading. And DC was like, this will get Joe Patrick to check out Firestorm. Nope. Okay. Uh, <laughs> what do I check out? Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's just like... It is impenetrable. Yeah. It, that's the right word for it. Um, the art is good. You know, it's 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 got that Perez um, base to it yeah. uh, because of his layouts. And Cynthia Martin is a very, very talented artist. She worked on uh, Marvel's Star Wars. She drew like the last several issues of uh, Marvel's Star Wars. She's great. She is also um, she also lives in Omaha. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, that's right. I forgot. She is uh, a character. She is a character. She's a total sweetheart. Um, but yeah, no sh- no shade on the art. It's beautiful. Donna Troy, don't don't oh. just don't do it. I think I hate. Learn that from Matt's mistake. <laughs> do not look up what's going on with I, Donna Troy. And like, it's not even Donna's fault. But I just think I hate that character. <laughs> it, Donna Troy, uh, you know what? Um, Donna Troy is the one character version of the Legion of Superheroes problem. A character that got so. F- over by the crisis yeah it, she became almost beyond repair right and uh like they found a way to make the legion work and they tried to make donna work right. and it's just every time every new layer it just became worse yeah. and worse they just kept and putting worse. another band-aid on top of the band-aid it's like, <laughs> like no you guys stop it it's, it's like <laughs> how do you take a character a beloved character that's part of teen titans history right whose whole Origin is that she is Wonder Woman's magically conjured sister. How do you explain the fact that she now existed before Wonder Woman because of the crisis? You can't. It's not even like they don't even try to bother explaining why she was called Wonder Girl and had a lasso. It's like it doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know, Um, stuff happens. I know other guys named Matt. It's not a big deal. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, sure. Uh, but like, look, just don't. Okay, it, yeah, it, don't but this do it. comic book. This comic book is bad, um, and I, I I wish I could say otherwise. Can but it's please not. Please stop a talking good, about it. I'm just done. <laughs> it's done. yeah. It's a leave it. It's it's. There's a reason why it is a crossover that n- nobody ever really talks about. Yeah. Because nobody really likes it. There, is, I don't know anybody that likes. This War is the not Guns. the George Perez to celebrate. No, certainly not. Let's get out of the 90s and into the 2000s where the gods continue to just wreak havoc on everybody's lives. It's not great. It's guys, just don't don't be friends with gods. It's just yeah. that's just all plain and simple. I just say like, dear God, please don't come mess with my shit. Sincerely, Matt Bomb. You know, like that's I mean, the- <laughs> it's like, look, uh, like it's one thing if you, it's just one thing. It's one thing if you want to worship a god. It's another thing if you like literally know one and it's like, yeah, we went for pizza the other day and then he made me relive my worst childhood fears <laughs> and now I can't go to the bathroom. It's just like, yeah, no. Okay. Uh, 
we are talking about Secret Wars number 10. <laughs> With that great introduction. Secret Wars number Warriors number 10, pardon me. Secret Warriors number 10 from Marvel Comics, the year 2011. It's written by Jonathan Hickman, and this is well, we baby Jonathan Hickman. Yeah. It's art by Alessandro Vitti. And here is your solicit. The time has come to settle all accounts. What was the deal Fury struck with Ares concerning his son? What does the future hold for the god of fear? A hall of gods and the judgment of Phobos. And of course, plenty of that superhero spy stuff you're used to. Gotta end it with a joke. Yeah. Before Jonathan Hickman reshaped the Marvel multiverse as we know it, he started small by reshaping the entire history of Marvel's preeminent spy organization, S.H.I.E.L.D. Secret Warriors finds an exiled Nick Fury running his own team of black ops super beings called Caterpillars. Uh, it was like the code word for like superpowered spawn of villains or whatever. Well, also maybe well, people that didn't know they had those powers yet. Well, they're all tied to some, but well, you know what? I don't think Yo-Yo. Yeah, right. But like most of them had ties. Like one of them was Dr. Druid's kid. Yeah. One of them was the son of, uh, the not the absorbing man, but it's something related to, yeah. Anyway, one of these beings is a young boy named Alex who just happens to be Phobos, the son of Ares, god of war. This means that Alex has the power of a god. That's right. The god of fear in the body of a 10 year old boy. But He's no ordinary boy. He's still a kid, but he's got a world weariness about him that belies his age. He's got some fearsome combat training, some pretty terrifying fear powers, and a strong desire to be a hero. You know, when I was 10, all I wanted to do was play Nintendo. So Hickman's story does that thing that Hickman does best, which is to reach back deep into the depths of history and create new meaning that impacts the story happening in the modern day. Long ago, a deal was struck and two swords were forged during a battle between the old gods and even older gods. Now it's time for Alex's destiny to unfold so he can embrace his godhood. Unfortunately, the only way to do that is to die. But we'll get there in another issue. Yeah. The legend of the twin swords, grass cutter and god killer is super compelling and it reads like a modern myth. Like this could be a real story from mythology the way Hickman tells it. The modern day story shows the days leading up to the start of the series and Alex's recruitment by Fury, Alex's eventual disillusionment with his father after Ares joins up with Norman Osborn's Dark Avengers, and finally, his ascent into godhood and the terrible knowledge that comes with it. The art by Alessandro Vitti is excellent. He stepped in for Stefano Caselli, the original artist on the series, and he was just a great fit for the book. This is an excellent issue that explores the dynamic between Ares and Alex, and I really love their relationship. This version of Ares is certainly a kind of a mashup of Thor and Wolverine, but he's also a dedicated father that cares about his son. Secret Warriors was a terrific series that I've been meaning to revisit for a long time, and issue 10 shines the spotlight on one of my favorite members of the team. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I mean, as usual, Jonathan Hickman does something really cool with a character that is fine. Like, I didn't need Ares in the Marvel Universe, but I like the idea that Ares is a guy that does a job. And his job is to make sure war is getting done, you know? Yeah, he's got a war. <laughs> and, like, sometimes that means I got to be a bad guy. Sometimes that means I'm going to be a really good guy. Your job, son, is to scare the shit out of people. And he's like, well, I don't always want to scare people. And he's like, well, maybe I can get creative and be a hero doing it. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's super clever. 
I loved this series, and this is from like a time in the Marvel Universe that I really, really enjoyed. There's a lot of people that like talked smack about the whole Dark Avengers and Dark whatever and Norman taking over. But all in all, I thought it was a lot of fun. I'm giving this a massive buy it. Great book. Well, and it's like, look, and I, I actually meant to write this in my review, but and I forgot, but the main premise of this whole series was eventually taken and adapted in a much less like overtly like superhuman kind of way and um, adapted by the MCU in uh, The Winter Soldier. The whole idea that S.H.I.E.L.D. is actually a front for HYDRA. Yeah. Yep. And it was a secret the whole time that like Jonathan Hickman and Brian Michael Bendis, who co-wrote the first arc, like they came up with that. Yeah. And then like it's such a great idea. Like the, uh, the, the thought that like Nick Fury's whole life is a lie and he's mad as hell, but he's not going to stop fighting. No. Uh, and and that's like they took that and they made a whole like they changed the whole course of the MCU with it. It's great. Totally. Big on. <laughs> The mere voicing of Odin's command sends Thor back to Earth in a fraction of a microsecond. Speaking of Thor and his daddy, let's talk about Thor number seven from Marvel. This was Thor number seven from 2007. Who knows what volume it is? Doesn't matter. It would jump back to Thor 600 in a few issues. So, And then uh, not too long after that, there would be another Thor number seven. <laughs> yeah. So it's, be- it's best not to worry about this it. This is written by J. Michael Straczynski with art by Marco Djurjevic. And I, I forgot he was a thing until I picked this book up and went, oh, yeah, that guy's great. I'll Google him and we'll find out while you talk. Here's your solicit. Asgard was floating over Broxton, Oklahoma. Odin was dead. Thor was once again in charge, but thinking about bringing his dad back. Loki was a sexy woman who secretly wanted to see Thor fail and bring dad back. And Thor, not knowing what else to do, unleashed a lightning storm that freed several Asgardians that were trapped in human hosts all over the world in the previous issue. This leads up to this storyline, Father Issues, which sees an injured Thor having to heal inside the Odin casket, where his dad goes for his Odin sleep every time he, quote, dies. While in the casket, Thor gets a history lesson from Odin about Grandpa Bor. It basically boils down to, if you think I'm a jerk, you should have met your grandfather. (laughs) I'm not sure if I forgot about this JMS Thor run or if it's just been wiped out by the Jason Aaron and current Diny Cates run. Revisiting this issue, I remembered there was a lot I liked about his run and it's the, good. And the Gillen run that came afterwards. I do really like the way JMS writes Odin talking about Boar. The father issue storyline continues. With Odin in the next issue, with Odin revealing that it was Bor who told him to adopt Loki, and part of him blames his father for bringing the trickster god into the family. Surtur is also in the neither realm where Odin's spirit is residing, and Thor offers to free his dad from his curse by taking his place and dying for him. Odin, of course, says no, and the two fight Surtur one more time before Thor comes back to Earth. JMS had a really solid take that seems very true to what I've read of Norse of the Norse mythology. Odin is a jerk, sure, but it's only because his dad was a jerk and the two were crazy powerful, but their lives still didn't go the way that they had hoped. This two-part story is probably as close as you're going to get to a touching father-son moment between Thor and Odin, but It really is a touching story about power, about machismo, about control, and the frustration a father can both have with and pass on to his son. 
I might have to revisit this J. Michael Straczynski run because I feel like it set up a lot of stuff that Jason Aaron took the ball and ran with. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I mean, people forget, but like all that all that stuff with um, Asgard being above Broxton, Oklahoma and incorporating like the townspeople into the book, like Straczynski did that. Yeah. And then Matt Fraction took over the book like after Thor 600. After, um, well, after Gillen. And of course, Thor gets relaunched with another new number one. But yeah, like I never really considered him like a permanent creator. I think he just kind of he came in to end it because I think JMS did the thing he does where he pulled the ripcord. He did the thing he does. No, he definitely did. (laughs) Yeah. So you looked it up. Whatever happened to our boy uh, Marco Jurjevic? Uh, I think he just kind of left comics behind, and and now he runs a concept art studio. Like they have a video game thing out. Oh, so he's making Um, real money. Yeah, so like he's got an active Instagram, uh, and his studio has an active Instagram. But yeah, I, I remember him primarily as like the a cover guy, not an interior guy, because his covers were very good. Yeah, he didn't do a lot of interiors, um, but when he did, wow. But yes, um, I I quite liked this run. This is a very good issue. I, I do love the, the whole like daddy issues <laughs> problem that plagues the Odin family. Yeah, but it's cool because like we finally find out. Like, you want to know why Odin's a jerk? Because Boar is not a good person. It's like Odin came to Earth. was like, this place kind of sucks. Let's get some people here. Breathe life into mankind. And Boar was like, you shouldn't have done that. But I'm not going to wipe them out. I'm just going to punish them forever. (laughs) Because you like them. What a jerk. Yeah, (laughs) he's just like, he's like an abusive dad, you know, and... and, it, it kind of shaped the way that uh, that Odin uh, raised Thor or, you know, didn't raise Thor, depending on how you look at it. Yeah, but you know. J- the JMS run is is a lot of fun. Um, it, it does kind of lead into everything uh, that happened uh, in Jason Aaron's run. Like uh, Bro- Broxton was still over or pardon me, Asgard was still over Broxton, Oklahoma, when fraction of uh, when Aaron started. Yeah, the run. that stuck around for quite um, a while. It all kind of started right in this uh, series. It's a buy it for me. Beautiful to look at, fun to read. Need more new THN comic reviews? Check out our ludicrous speed reviews over at TwoHeadedNerd.com where we write short reviews of other new stuff we read each week. If you want to know more about these comics, the ones we just talked about, check out our show notes where you can find links with more info and hit us up on our Discord to give us your thoughts. Joe Patrick. Before we get back to the usual blasphemy around Ziggurat, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN private collection. And what do we think about gods in comics? Is it something that, you, that you're you into, that you like, or are they really just kind of a problem and a distraction most of the time? I think it's fun uh, to kind of deal with them as though they are all distinct beings that exist in that universe. Like... I love I love the way Marvel handle handles it in that like the Greek pantheon exists. Mount Olympus exists. It's a place you can go. Um, Asgard is a place you can go. Yeah. You can also go to sure. the Egyptian sky realm or whatever it's called. There's even like a council of sky kings, right? Like sure. Odin, Zeus, um, Apollo, who or not Apollo, but there's you already got Zeus, but you know what I mean. Like the big the bosses of all the gods. Right. Um, Ra's up there and somebody else. Yeah, Ra, right. And so, like, I think that that's fun. I, I, I like that Marvel basically treats them as other dimensional beings but the, the, of great power. I think Marvel, in my opinion, does it a little better because they treat them like people. 
Like we we well, can yeah, relate. Like they are beings they, right. with petty concerns. Yeah. Right? And we can relate to these gods. Like Thor is a guy you can kind of relate to. Hercules is a guy you really like, you know, like they're fun. Right. Whereas we get into something like, and I'm not saying it's always this way with DC, but we get into something with War of the Gods, where in DC they're always like a little stiffer. They all spoke They don't have too much, much personality. They, I, like, I don't think, it wasn't really until, uh, now I can't really speak to uh, John, uh, John Byrne had a very lengthy run on Wonder Woman in the mid 90s, um, where he dealt with a lot of these characters. He may have given them more personality, uh, I can't say. But really, I think the first writer to really like give them a distinctive voice all their own was Brian Azzarello. Yeah, probably. That long, but, it took that long. I mean, really. I mean, like Ares was around doing stuff, but he was like just always a shithead, you know. I mean, and like right. say what you will about Ares in the Marvel universe, he was kind of a likable guy sometimes, <laughs> and they made him interesting. You well, know? right, and and like and Ares, like before Bendis brought him uh, brought him back in uh, whatever Avengers run it was. Um, the last time Ares appeared before that, it had been years. Yeah, and he was just like a he was just like a generic you know villain. He is back um, again right now fighting Ninja. Punisher. That's weird. Yep. I did not know that. He's been supplying um, people with crazy weapons, like gamma crazy. guns and stuff. Well, he's the but, god of war. Yeah, you know. Um, I, I will say this. I, I think that, I do think that the Marvel take kind of falls down whenever they actually lean into this notion that like Odin created life on Earth. No, he didn't. We know who created life on Earth in the Marvel Universe. It's the Celestials. Like, they're, like, that's fair. Stop it. You already you already have an internal mythology. Don't contradict it by creating a character that goes around sure. saying, I created you. But like, we it's also Odin who tends to exaggerate. So fair, you know. but like what does <laughs> what does Zeus say? You know? Yeah, what I mean, does like I all can't of say these, I've ever all seen all of these yeah. religions have creation myths, right? Sure. And it's just like Okay, I get it. I, like, I get you want to lean into the idea that Odin is a god, but maybe don't actually say that he created life. That's sure. probably going too far when you already have that mechanism set up in the Marvel right. universe. Right, we don't need to lean into it too far, and I think that's when they're best handled when we don't lean into it too far. Because right. when you do, uh, I, I, you get War of the Gods. <laughs> and yeah, and, and I also do kind of like the idea that they both, like, both universes have. Um, an equivalent of the one above all and like it's not the judeo-christian god obviously right but it's it's essentially like one being from from which everything sprang and in marvel it's the one above all in dc it's the presence i could not find a good story featuring the presence you wouldn't have liked the one i picked i swear uh but uh I, I do like the idea that like they all answer to somebody. Sure. Like there's somebody there's somebody better than Zeus out there, you know? Yeah. Um so I don't mind gods and comics, but they, it's gotta be handled a certain way with a light touch. Right. Because most of the time a light touch, yes. My eyes roll back into my head and I go, Oh boy, here we go. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah, like uh, I think that if you wanna give me like like I said, just treat them, uh, treat them as beings that live in a place. Right. You know, I think and it's like, yeah. So give me something like War of the Realms. Right. That's what Jason Aaron did so well. He was like, look, yeah. there's going to be a big godlike War of the Realms thing. Don't worry. It's all taking place in magic places. So like Earth, we might not even notice. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? and, then it and then it shows up on Earth. <laughs> it did a little bit, you know, sure. But no, the, it, the, no, the dark elves invaded Earth. Well, yeah, it, yeah, was, yeah. The, it mean, was the main plot of War right. of the Realms. No, I mean, that's it. That's true. <laughs> 
Uh, if but I'm yeah, paying, but it's just like, yeah, that's how I want it to be treated. You know, I just want them to be treated as like basically cosmic beings. Right. So which book are you picking here? I think it's Hercules. Uh, that's the one I had the most fun with, I think. So Hercules? Like, I, I like the Savage Dragon one. It's funny. It's tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um, the C Secret Warriors is great. Um, but I read that Hercules comic thinking, oh, man, it's going to be this dated 1980s sure. thing. And I legit loved it. Like, I loved it. And it is still a dated 1980s thing, but it's a really good... A little bit. It's a really good dated 1980s thing. <laughs> that's fine, you know? Um, And, like, and that's that's also to take nothing away from New Gods, which is also great. Totally great. Um, But it's just that there was one book that made me go, oh, I want to read the the next one of these, and that yeah. was Hercules. I think I got to go with Thor number seven. I forgot how much I liked this JMS run and just laying out why Odin is the way he is. And it's just as simple as like, same way some other jerk might be the way they are. The dad f***ed him up. Like, it's, yeah, okay. It's a universal theme. I get it. <laughs> like, it's yeah, really well done. Sure. Okay, enough with the religion and myth in our comics. It's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we keep all our blasphemous tomes and black magic relics that help us make our must-read picks for next week's comics. The gods be damned! Matt, what's your pick for next week? You want to talk about a guy who uh, probably takes his religion a little too seriously and feels guilty all the <laughs> damn time? My pick is Daredevil, number yeah. one from Marvel. It's $3.99. It's written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Marco Cicchetto. The rumors of them uh, leaving the book and it getting canceled were greatly exaggerated. <laughs> I don't think that was ever a rumor, but all right. Well, no, Marvel did a thing where they're like, they're leaving their final issue. Da-da-da. And then all of a sudden we got... No, there's a whole devil's reign thing. You're like, and then they're like, and they're coming back. You're like, all right, Marvel, we get it. Here's your solicit. An all-new era of Daredevil starts here. After the shocking events of Devil's Reign, what is left of Daredevil? Who lived? Who died? And who is left to pick up the pieces? Chip Zdarsky and his superstar collaborator, Marco Cicchetto. They kind of make it sound like Cicchetto sits on his shoulder and says funny stuff when you write it like that, right? <laughs> I think he lives inside of his chest like Quado. <laughs> okay. Turn their gaze to a future full of peril and pain. In this dash, the explosive beginning of the all-new era for Hell's Kitchen's Guardian Devil and the most important Daredevil issue of the year. Until next month! Exclamation point! <laughs> uh, you know what? Actually, scratch that. If anybody's the Quado, it's Chip Zdarsky. <laughs> uh, so, Daredevil. Look, Devil's Reign was great. Daredevil's no great. no-brainer. Yeah, it, it, just give me more. I'm in. I want to see him and Elektra, both as Daredevils, doing stuff. I'm in. Let's go. Luke Cage is the mayor now? That's weird. That is wild. <laughs> so... <laughs> I just don't understand how politics work in the Marvel Universe. It happens <laughs> but fast, that's all right. Joe. It happens very uh, fast. <laughs> it happens very fast, and it also doesn't matter if you are a convicted felon or, uh, you know, there's a lot of, they play it real fast and lose You're with the really rules. I don't know what it takes to be. The modern Republican Party isn't voting for convicted felons on a no, regular no, no. basis. I, I, <laughs> that's, not what I, that's not what I said. I, I, that's not what I said. I think that, 
I, I, I don't know if there are rules in place that prevent somebody from running for mayor, right? Oh, I like, see. Gotcha. To run for president, you have to be 35 years of age. You have to be born in America, sure, not sure, just sure. an American citizen, et cetera, et cetera. And to be um, fair, most of the GOP, you know, most of the GOP candidates are not been convicted of anything. Hopefully right. they will be. So. They are, <laughs> they are just, uh, they're just much more subtle about their criminal. Yeah, they are alleged. Are, they, they just, <laughs> right they just haven't been caught. Alleged. Uh, yeah. Right. No, I, I'm excited about this. Um, I, I, uh, I need to get caught up on Daredevil. I fell behind during the King in Black, but I did read Devil's Reign. God, that was a which while I enjoyed. It was, but I mean, it, Daredevil actually, the main series ended not too long after the King in yeah. Black. And then it was Devil's Reign, which I did read. So um, I just need to finish. I just need to kind of like fill in the gaps. It's, a sol- it's longer than you think. There's like a solid 10 issues, maybe 15 after that. I think, I don't know. Uh, you know what? It's fine. <laughs> yeah. I read fast. Catch up. I've got, I've got the app. I'm, I'm glad Chip is sticking around on a daredevil. And yeah, like I said, I think if anybody's the quado in this relationship, it's him. Gotcha. I think he comes out of Marco cheese, Cheetos chest and goes, you know, Marco, Marco, you know, and then tells him what to draw. And here I thought he sprung from the head of Matt Fraction, like Athena Nikkei. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. My pick for next week is Above Snakes, number one from Image Comics. It's uh, $7.99, you know, but don't let that don't let that scare you. It's an indie comic. It's probably thick. Uh, I don't understand what the title means, but hopefully the comic will explain it. It's written by Sean Lewis with art by Hayden Sherman. Here's your solicit. Miniseries premiere. The hit team behind The Few and Thumbs returns with an all-new wild-as-hell miniseries. Writer Sean Lewis... Currently knocking him dead on King Spawn, I guess. <laughs> An artist, Hayden Sherman from Wasted Space. And rock star letterer, Hassan Otsmane Alaho. Sorry. Introduce a world where Deadwood-style westerns collide with the Fantasia of Neil Gaiman in the story of Dirt. A man seeking vengeance for his murdered wife with nothing but a talking vulture to prod him on. Huh. Above Snakes is a fast and furious explosion of Western tropes and American vengeance that explores where our rage can take us. I loved The Few. I thought it was awesome. Um, Sean Lewis, who is, didn't we figure out he's the son? Yeah, Sean Phillips' kid. Sean Phillips' kid. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Redacted or retracted. Sean Lewis, Um, son of Sean Phillips. (laughs) Yeah. They're related uh, because they're both named Sean. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I just, I I got my last names mixed up. Sorry about that. But I did, I did love The Few. Um, I also really liked Thumbs. Uh, Sean Lewis. Space was beautiful. I reviewed that. It was a very good looking book. Hayden Sherman is a crazy person. Uh, He's, he is a fantastic artist. I love a good like kind of mythical Western, right? Like, um, you know, uh, the sixth uh, gun, what was that? For example, the, the sixth, sixth gun. Yes. But I'm, th- I'm trying to think of that Jonathan Hickman one East of West. Oh yeah. You know, uh, where it's like kind of sci-fi magic or, but yeah, like, like a Western plus an added thing. Sure. Like I love it. And, uh, this is a great creative team. Very much looking forward Ooh, to it. Desperados. That was fun too. Wildstorm book. Desperados, yeah, great one. John Cassidy. Mm-hmm. The THN Trade of the Week for next Wednesday is the Getting Dizzy trade paperback from Boom. It is written by Shay Fontana with art by Celia Muscote. 
Dizzy wants to be the best, but with everything she's tried, including her roller skating, this teen can only achieve one thing, disaster. Just when she's about to give up, interdimensional creatures called the Negatrixes attack, forcing her to take up the mantle of Burb Defender. But if she wants to save the world, she's going to have to assemble the coolest skating crew the Burbs have ever seen. From New York Times bestselling author Shay Fontaine, who worked on DC Superhero Girls, Wonder Woman, Rebirth, and acclaimed artist Celia Muscote, who worked on Juliet Takes Breath, comes an aspirational story perfect for fans of Save Yourself and Roller Girl that reveals a true hero is nothing without her friends. This collects the complete Getting Dizzy 1 through 4. We reviewed this back on THN episode 644, and we loved it. I'll put a link in the notes if you want to listen to our review there. This is just fun all-ages stuff for younger boys and girls looking for a great black nerd story. Loved this book. You can find links with more info on our picks in our show notes, and we always post our must-read picks on our Discord, Twitter, and Facebook every Wednesday, so you can make an informed buying decision at your local comic shop. But let us know what you thought of our picks, and hey, give us your own picks of the week. Yeah, tell us what you guys are reading. Yeah, add that in there. Add that in there. Start a, a podcast. Tell us, to, tell us to subscribe to it so we can hear what you are reading next week, okay? Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 670. We'll be back, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday after reviewing new comics. And we'll give you a sneak peek at our Patreon Extra. If, as soon as we figure out what it's going to be. Sure. If you want to wrap about this week's episode, comics that you are currently reading, or any of the weekly nerdy news that we are following in our nerd news section of our Discord, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Time. You can watch the broadcast live on our Facebook page. But if you want to play along, you got to join our Discord. You got to introduce yourself, and then we will tell you how to chat or rap with us live on the show. And don't forget, maybe you don't know what you want to talk about. We take care of that for you with our little question of the week. Joe, what do we got this week? This week's question is courtesy of Wooly Toots via Discord. Can you name a character or a villain? A villain is also a character, but you know what he means. (laughs) Uh, A hero or a villain that got their start in one book but then became synonymous as the pal or arch villain of another character. I love it. I love it too. I already know my answer. It was a layup for me. I have a feeling a lot of people are going to have your same answer. Yeah, but you know what? Hey, not everybody might. good answer. Maybe not everybody knows that one. It's a good pick. But yeah, so a a, a character, be they hero, villain, or you know what? Supporting character. They don't have to be a costumed character that got their start in another book. Ooh, I've got another great one. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, uh, that got their start in another book and then became more closely tied to a different character altogether. Like Rick Jones and Genius. Sure. <laughs> they were the closest tied. Come on. No, they weren't because he was also tied to Genius's dad. He's been like, there's a, if I had a nickel for every person that Rick Jones shared a physical space with, I'd be rich. <laughs> Rick would be completely insane, by the way. I can't imagine. I know. My God. His therapy bills must be like, nuts. <laughs> on, on, top, like, on top of all the crap that Rick Jones has been through, 
in the 80s, he also was like dying of cancer. Oh, yeah. During the ROM series for like five years. It's like, oh, my God, come on. Yeah. And then he got attached to a crazy like melted gamma kid more recently and was like a worm with a face. It was terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Rick Jones. Really run Uh, that guy through the rigor. Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You can submit those uh, to us anywhere you can reach us. So email, uh, you know, phone message, the uh, Facebook page, the Discord. In fact, we have a whole channel devoted to the question of the week where not only are suggestions made, but questions are answered. It's a fun time. Yeah, I asked a question last week, actually. There you go. Maybe we'll use it. If it's good enough, we'll use it. No, no, no. I mean, I just like asked a question. Like, hey, nerds, what's this? You know, like. (laughs) I'm kidding. If you can't make it to Cover to Cover Live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. That number is 402-819-4894. And you could be internet famous. All we ask uh, is that you keep your recorded messages on the short side because we do get a lot of live participants and we've got to share the air. Oh, speaking of which, our Patreon Extra is going to be the uh, comic pushers we're doing with the... Post That's rebirth right. DC titles that are available yes. on the DC app. Uh, was that um, Patrick Gautier? It was the goat. The goat. Yes, the goat. Yes, excellent. Yes. Another one of our Canadian listeners. We're huge in Canada, you guys. If you're new to this show and you'd rather listen to one that's huge in America, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at nerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast, eh? And it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Jimmy Randall, who donates in weird Australian money that's printed backwards. So I don't know how we're going to spend it, but we appreciate it anyway. If we just... Have- uh, yeah. At least he's not donating in loonies and toonies like the Canucks, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's true. Or Tim Tams. (laughs) If you like what you hear every week, it is easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content, or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you're just that damn sweet. By the way, we will accept Tim Tams as a donation as well. They're delicious. I love What are Tim Tams? They're these little Australian cookie things. They're so good. Uh, I thought I thought maybe it was like a related to Tim Hortons. Like no. it was like Tim Hortons. No, it's like a little something. Australian wafer cookie thing. They're great. Ooh, Jimmy, send us quick. Send us Tim Tams, man. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Yu-Gi-Oh creator Kazuo Takahashi, who is better known as Kazuki Takahashi, creator of Yu-Gi-Oh. Now, we don't talk a lot about manga on the show, especially not manga that become like internationally known cartoons and toys and card games. But he had an undeniable creative impact on the Japanese manga culture, and he was unfortunately uh, found dead this week in a freak drowning accident in off the coast of Nago City in Japan's Okinawa Prefecture. A lot of people love Yu-Gi-Oh! Millions and millions of fans around the world. The guy has been working as a manga artist since the very early 80s. And uh, he was a huge star. Uh, And then he hit it big in 96 when Yu-Gi-Oh! began serializing in the pages of Shonen Jump. Um, Perhaps Jim will have more insight on that on on Saturday. But yeah, word to you, Mr. Takahashi. Stop laughing. What (laughs) do you want me to say? Oh, you nailed it. (laughs) 
Until next time, true relievers. Start again without that chuckle in your voice. Until next time. Stop it. <laughs> Sorry. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just play his anti-spell fragrance or perhaps Imperial Order or an Eradicator Epidemic Virus that will lock down your Exodia completely. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off.